Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Urzu. Hello. So last week we talked about the first two episodes of SG-1 Season 2, resolving the Season 1 cliffhanger and getting our first mission of the new season. And today we'll be talking about Episodes 3 and 4, Prisoners and the Gamekeeper. Prisoners premiered on July 10th, 1998, was written by Terry Curtis Fox and directed by David Worry Smith. And The Gamekeeper premiered on July 17th, 1998, was written by Jonathan Glasner and directed by Martin Wood. A theme in these episodes is they are not who they seem. (laughs) Arzu, would you please give us a quick summary on what happened in these two episodes? Sure. So in Prisoners, they are on a new planet and they get essentially sucked into... I guess <laughs> a prison world with that has a Stargate mm-hmm. and it's got this little society running in there run by this old lady who I just kept calling the old lady. And as such, her name is gone um, from my Linnea. Head. Linnea. Thank you. Um, run by Linnea and things are not what they seem with this seemingly wholesome woman <laughs> trying to help them. And then uh, in the gamekeeper, Jack and Daniel are forced to relive terrible memories over and over again after they make a stop on this planet. They just randomly end up in these old memories of theirs. It's not random, but we'll get there. Um, End up in these old memories of theirs. Uh, Jack is with Teal'c and Daniel is with Sam. And they are just trying to break out of this cycle of watching things go terribly wrong, knowing they can't do anything to fix it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's start with our quote reveal. Last week... I gave you the quote, signs of weakness are not a good thing in prison. What did I say? Because it was very unhinged. I'm trying to, I'm like, I don't know why I didn't write this down. Why don't we just go ahead and say I was right? Oh, you know, I know I didn't write because I haven't edited the episode yet. Um, (laughs) I think I remember some of it, though. I think I said Daniel said the quote. Yeah, you definitely was. You didn't have the right person because I remember when... You said it. I was like, no, that's not the right person who says it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you maybe guessed Daniel. And it's actually Jack who says it. To Daniel. Right. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's involved, but Daniel's not the one who says it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised that uh, Jack has been in a prison before because I'm assuming, I feel like there was a mention of him being a prisoner of war at one point for like three months in like the Gulf War or something like that. So that know, makes sense. Prisoner. No, in Iraq. Maybe that, it's like, in a later episode. Iraq is the Gulf War. Oh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Same I don't know what the Gulf War is. The Gulf War is Iran-Iraq. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We call it something else, but y'all call it the Gulf War. <laughs> what do you call it? The Iran-Iraq War. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, no, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me that that's why he was uh, in prison, but during the episode when he's like, yeah, I've like been in prison. He's been in prison before. And I'm like, bar fight. <laughs> I just know. I, I specifically remember him saying an Iraqi prison for three months. In this so, episode? No, no. At some point it might be in a later episode. Cause I've like, I've been rewatching season two and I've gotten to the end. Right. And so it might be in a later episode in season two. No, I just assumed he, like, ended up in the drunk tank for a couple days. No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Jack like, I've done hard time. He was like, it was two days. (laughs) The opposite of Andor. Basically. (laughs) 
because <laughs> Cassian's like, I've never been in prison. Meanwhile, he was so much prison. <laughs> so much prison. Jack's like Crazy. different on the inside, and it's like <laughs> they let you go after a couple hours. Jack, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, getting started with uh, episode three, prisoners. Uh, what did you think about this use of the prison system? I mean, they Maybe. talk about it, well, like using another planet as a prison. I mean, Daniel talks about it in terms of it's kind of like Botany Bay when Australia used to be used as a penal colony for for Britain. I don't. Are we going to come back to this prison planet again? No. Okay. Because we don't really leave the cave system. Uh huh that it's on but the botany bay comparison makes me wonder if there's somebody else living there that they've just decided nobody's living here but actually there's like a species indigenous to this planet oh i don't know they never come back or visit yeah, it anyway, so, so if that's not the case then why not yeah um if that is the case that's a little messed up it is certainly an extreme um sort of justice having all crimes be punished with you know going to a lifetime sentence in this other prison this prison off world i mean okay so this is where the botany bay thing sort of doesn't track or maybe it does track maybe that was the intention but we don't come back so i don't know but um because you know they sent a bunch of guys to botany bay and then they decided to make it a colony Mm -hmm. so they just arrested a bunch of women on ridiculous charges condemned them to a life in botany bay and shipped them over there so they could just basically populate Oh, see, I don't know the history of Botany Bay, so yeah. that's interesting. At least I hope that's true, because that's what I read. But it's now occurring to me that I read this in a work of fiction. Mm. But it was historical fiction, so I do think there is truth to that. Right. I'm going to go ahead and say it's true. So they, <laughs> like, it started as, you know, like a men-only right. penal colony. And then when they're like, well, let's just stay here and just make a country of it so we don't have to bring them back. Then a bunch of women are like were arrested for like prostitution or like other things that don't necessarily require a lifetime sentence in Australia mm-hmm. and were just shipped over so they could populate yeah, and make Australia. I feel like if that happened to me personally, I would absolutely refuse to help populate the new colony. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Just, I mean, on principle alone, I'd be like, no, that's not okay. I mean, the principle's messed up, but (laughs) if it's like the 1800s and I don't have a way out or off the island, the way I see it, I'm a golden ticket. I am a hot commodity. Everybody better start with their peacock dancing and they're stepping (laughs) up and like, we're talking Bachelor in Paradise, Botany Bay edition. Well, I mean, you would have your pick of men, but also... Almost all of the men would be criminals of some sort. But, like, there's <laughs> so, different levels of criminal. See, like a murderer or is he like a thief? Well, people who are getting life sentences being shipped to a different continent. They just want them out of the way. <laughs> you know? I just feel like it's probably the worst of the worst. Not necessarily. I don't know. Well, so in this episode, Linnea is the only woman, which I find really interesting because it either means that, generally speaking, women don't do crime on these people's planet. 
Or the women get killed really, really quickly in prison. I feel like Linnea is doing it. <laughs> Why would she be killing the women? So she can exert a level of control. Yeah. Because Linnea is basically controlling this whole thing. But if, let's say there are women, and let's say they don't require Linnea to keep all the men in line, and, you know, people start getting together and they start you know, coupling up and they start having kids, they outnumber Linnea mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Right. If Linnea keeps the population growing at her rate and not at a natural one. You know, I almost wonder if there's a separate prison for women because maybe the, I don't remember what the, the people are called, um, specifically thought of that in terms of we don't want children to be born in prison because, I mean, that there'd be... You know, they don't deserve that. You know, they're, they're like if they're born innocent beings, you know. But I feel like if your government system is is such that you're fine condemning people to a life on another planet. Mm-hmm. Do you care if kids are born in prison or not? I mean, it depends what they think of in terms of their absolute justice. Given that any crime seems punishable with a life sentence mm-hmm. on another planet, I feel like they don't possess the moral fiber to like make that distinction yeah but the children didn't do anything wrong they just yeah, happened to be born their parents to the prisoners yeah well i'm just wondering if maybe they'll send women to this prison but only if they're no longer capable of having children and they so but then women could do the exact same crimes the men are doing mm-hmm. at childbearing age and not face the same consequence so that creates a double standard. Well, it'll just be a different prison. It, it, they like might it, just if, like keep them separate to prevent them from coupling up and like mm-hmm. strengthen numbersing rather mm-hmm. than because I don't think they would have any consideration for kids born in prison. I don't think they'd care. Hmm. But again, if you let their numbers grow and let entire families flourish in prison, yeah, then they outnumber you. Yeah, I mean, it could be just that women who go there if they can't defend themselves end up getting killed really quickly that that also seems very possible and i don't know that one guy who was like really keen on sam yeah because i mean like linnea protected sam from getting attacked but she also came with three strong men so i mean (laughs) somebody was going to come in and help her and linnea wants to be on the side of these four new people who she, who she needs to suss out and see how strong they are. So it's better to start on their good side. So maybe she wouldn't normally come to the defense of a woman coming through. Yeah, maybe. If, like, if she knows where the woman's from and like what her deal is, then it doesn't matter. Or if it's just some random woman, you know, like, what's the benefit for her to protect her, necessarily? Yeah. But, like, she knew with, like, four people coming through at once, that's a possible power shift that's going to happen and so it'd be on in her best interest to like figure out which way the power is you know how things are yeah how things might change with these new arrivals yeah very true yeah she doesn't uh i mean linnea does have a sort of sense of um debt she understands like that SG one was really nice to her, and so she doesn't. No, she doesn't technically hurt them in any way. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, 
yeah, but otherwise she doesn't really seem to have a strong sense of morals necessarily. No, none whatsoever. <laughs> it's very much like I am going to take what I need from you and not harm you since you were nice to me and that's it. I'm peace out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this also kind of like brings up the case of another advanced population that well i mean what we don't really know but we assume don't have any issue with the gold yeah because it's never mentioned that they know anything about them necessarily so i feel like like as we go on we're seeing more and more cultures that have the potential to fight the gold and yet nobody's really doing anything about it it's really just the people of earth who are like Let's do this for the benefit of all humanity across the galaxy. I guess the people who aren't subject to the gold, like aren't, what's the word for it? Captive by them. Mm -hmm. Aren't super inclined to do anything about it because it's like not my problem. That's true. If they're strong enough to protect themselves from the gold, then. I mean, we see that in a microcosm on Earth. People are like, well, it's not my problem. Yeah, this is somebody else's problem. Yeah, that's true. I'm fine. They're not coming for me. Yeah, so it's that on a larger scale. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Sad, but alas. yeah, yeah. It is pretty impressive, like what Linnea managed to do in this prison in terms of uh, creating medicine and cold fusion <laughs> and creating disease. <laughs> That was another life. She's put that behind her. No big deal. I like um, she's basically doing the cold fusion thing with her little moss rock thing. Uh-huh. She's like putting essential oils in there. <laughs> and and Sam's like, oh, is that a atomic, like cold fusion subatomic? I'm like, Sam, <laughs> this is like rough. She's wearing like rough spun fabric. She does not know what you're talking about. Well, I don't think her clothing necessarily means that she doesn't know what Sam's talking about. It's the fact that Sam is using terminology specific to Earth. That's what I mean. Like, she is from somewhere else. She she did not. She was not like the science is all there, but she's from another like galaxy. She has no clue what these words are that you're using. And yet she learned how to use a computer really fast. I mean, like in a matter of like five minutes, she went from let me pretend like I know nothing about drawing on this computer to let me take over your base. <laughs> Just excellent um, marketing strategy for that brand of computer because it's got a very intuitive user interface. If this, really? Like, you get up right away. Well, she was obviously like either watching Sam type in her password or just... I mean, it had it open already, I guess. Um, but I mean, to be able to figure out how to fake the self-destruct and then have a message show up on the particular computer in the gate room, you know? Yeah. She's figured all that out in 10 minutes. Meanwhile, I, who has spent the last 20 plus years, longer, the last 25 or so years using a computer today still managed to open a new window when I didn't mean to minimize when I didn't mean to Uh, several typos. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Well, you're also not a destroyer of worlds. 
that you so. know. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. I suppose in your writing, you could be. You could <laughs> do all kinds of catastrophic damage in your writing. I would just cry. I would cry if I did that. <laughs> I wrote one tragic chapter of a fan fiction once. And people still haven't forgiven me for it. And I honestly haven't forgiven myself. So you could totally write a, a Martian story where he's the destroyer of worlds, you know? So about that. <laughs> Got Is that part of your existing thick already? <laughs> for those of you I mean, who don't know. Not quite. Ars not quite. But Ar Arzu is a Martian roast stand. <laughs> and for those who don't know what that is. That is from Star Wars The High Republic, um, which if you're not reading, you really should. You don't even necessarily need any great love of the movies to enjoy the books. Yeah, no, I suppose like, if you don't like Star Wars, you probably wouldn't get much out of it. But Well, I mean, they're set like several hundred years before the prequels, so yeah, you are. really don't they're you don't really good. need to watch the movies first. They're like they're like his, his it's like Star Wars historical period pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're like Star Wars period pieces with like old Jedi and an angry broody man with the mask and daddy issues. Anyway, um, that's unrelated. That is a completely different space franchise, but that's back a plug to, for it. Back to our destroyer of worlds and, back and to Stargate. World. <laughs> Going back to the place where this prison is located, Hadante, Daniel was saying that it looks like the ruins are about 15,000 years old, which, you know, long predates human civilization on Earth. I like so that Daniel can just eyeball that. Right? <laughs> like, how can you he... 15,000. I'm like, you don't want some soil samples? Or yeah, like... without some, like, carbon dating or whatever. Like, how do you estimate that? But um, that makes me think that it must have been a planet used by one of the four great races who have mm -hmm. been around for a really long time. And they ab abandoned it for whatever reason. Maybe the local climate was too much to overcome and they had to abandon it. Could be, because like even these people are underground the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Linnea said they're several hundred feet underground. So which is terrifying to contemplate. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, has nobody ever tried to dig to the surface? I mean, there's no telling what the surface would be like. Maybe it's not habitable anyway. But I, I mean they probably don't have the tools to do it either. I mean, I feel like they can make the tools. I mean, they've got quite a lot of... There seems to be an extensive root system. So I would think that they could at least craft wooden tools. Also, too, though, if they're underground with no sense of, like, where the load-bearing wall is... Mm -hmm. They probably have it collapse on them. Like, you dig... If you're digging upward, uh -huh. you need eventually need, like ladders and, and things like that and like right. a way to scale and Linnea probably doesn't want them to either because they're in a controlled environment right yeah yeah I guess if you open up a tunnel to the surface and it turns out the surface has like some kind of toxic air or something and then that comes down into yeah that comes down into the cave system and kills everybody Woo! <laughs> I'm just surprised they haven't like there wasn't evidence that they tried that at some point you know I mean, maybe they did, and it just was so inconsequential. Like, SG-1 didn't even notice. So what did you think about General Hammond going the, through the Stargate for the first time? He got to go on a mission! <laughs> I just think it's so funny how he does not care. Like, he does not have any desire to go through the Stargate. He's doing it because he has to. And I'm like, I can't believe it just... He's not, like, curious, you know? 
absolutely nothing phases this man. <laughs> no, it's just another day. You know, just casual. Just going through an interdimensional yeah. wormhole. Maybe he thinks he's too old or that kind of thing. Honestly, that tracks. He's like, that this is this is beyond me. Is. Like, I can't keep up with you guys. But I mean, he could totally visit worlds where like they have friends and just go to visit and see what it's like, you know. I don't think he cares. Yeah. I genuinely like he's just like, it's fine. I don't need to go. <laughs> Whatever. He's like the he's like the grumpy grandpa who's like, no, I'm gonna stay home. <laughs> no, thank yep. you. Yeah, he doesn't go through the Stargate very often. I can remember one more time when he goes through, but it's pretty rare. I mean, that does make sense. He's overseeing the whole thing. If, if there's need for him to go through, that means something's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I can understand him not wanting to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. One thing that did bother me when they were breaking out of the prison was that, you know, they were dialing the gate right after the food had come through. They did not move the food trays before activating the Stargate, and those were destroyed. So now when the food slush comes through the Stargate the next day, there's not going to be any way for the prisoners to collect it. It's just going to go all over the floor. They're just going to lick it off the floor. I mean, (laughs) at that point, you kind of have to. They'd have to, like, build another receptacle. Where's that scene? (laughs) What, when it gets destroyed? No, with them dealing with it. Oh, yeah. You want an after- yeah (laughs) you're gonna make us contemplate these questions show us the payoff (laughs) yeah it just seems so like it would have taken like 10 seconds for you to drag these these things these trays off to the side but no now you've like ruined the receptacle for these poor people who now have to like spend several days building new ones i feel like the writer and director didn't care (laughs) they just obviously got it yeah and it's like what like if you're not going to think about it when making a TV show, don't think about it in like a, like a syndicated comedy or drama because nobody's going to yeah. revisit this and think about it. If you're doing sci-fi, there mm-hmm. are nerds like us who will notice mm-hmm. and will have questions. But I mean, they kind of had to have known about it because the shot when the Stargate opens and the vortex comes out. It's like directly in front of the Stargate and you can see the trays there and then the vortex comes and then the trays are not there. And then the next shot from a different angle, you can see the base of one of the trays. Because they're thinking about it in so much as it's like, you know what this is, you know, this is important. Boom, it's gone. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about like what that means for the characters who are are still there who have to like deal with this now. They yeah. just it's just to convey the scale to us. It, right. But, <laughs> like, but think about it from a story point of view. It just makes SG1 seem very callous. Well, yeah. Like the whole yeah. if it's not happening to us, it doesn't really matter kind of attitude. Well, that just basically sums up SG1 though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Uh, Any uh final thoughts or about this episode or Linnea? for half a second when Linnea came through and they're like, General, this is Linnea. And he's like, hello. And I'm like, oh. Okay, then I realize she's crazy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Oh, you wanted to ship them? For half a second, I was like, oh, like, 
Well, he is General married. Hammond who never goes through the Stargate falls in love with a woman who came through the Stargate. Like that would be so. But cute. he's married already. That's fine. And then <laughs> I forgot, so that's okay. Um, but obviously that's not going anywhere. So sure, he's married. It's fine. Do you want to make any predictions about if and when we see Linnea again? I thought it would be very funny if she ends on this like destroyer of worlds note and they just completely forget to bring her back. <laughs> she just never goes back. It's never addressed again. <laughs> I have no well, idea. I genuinely have no idea when to expect her. I feel like uh-huh. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where for people who've watched the show Bones, it's going to be like the Palant arc where periodically across the season something goes wrong, like inexplicably wrong, and then you realize it was Linnea. <laughs> I think that's what it's going to be. Well, when she does come back, it is an unexpected way. Like you won't see it coming. So, okay, it's very on brand for her. Okay, something <laughs> to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the things that I like about the show. Like when it does, sometimes it'll like set up like a character and a premise, and you think that that's it, and then they come back like a season or two later and you're like wait a minute <laughs> i'm fine with that honestly yeah like, i like yeah, it. i remember you yeah i like the callbacks it's good okay so episode four the gamekeeper fun <laughs> fun uh it wasn't fun for everyone not fun for everyone but mostly fun this is another one of those episodes where well daniel and jack in particular are going to need a lot of therapy mm-hmm I feel like mostly Daniel. Uh, Daniel, absolutely. Like, Jack, I feel like this is the kind of thing he, like, the incident Jack relives Mm -hmm. of, like, a mission gone wrong and losing some of his men is, like, the kind of thing that, however he's dealing with his mental health, he deals with all the time. Yeah. So he could just do more of whatever that is. Whereas Mm -hmm. Daniel had to watch his parents get squished over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like... Probably something that, like, I mean, obviously that's a moment that you want to forget as much as possible. Like, mm-hmm. forget the sound of their screams, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, what a terrible way to die. Yeah. And, like, I feel like if I was Daniel, I would just never forgive the gamekeeper for what he did. Because, like, to Does put somebody through that trauma. What? Does the gamekeeper come back? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. But... He would be on my hit list, basically, if I was Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's not okay. Also, I know I harp on it a lot on Daniel and his matrimony, matrimonial status. But do you think it's very funny? He seems to have gotten this from his parents. Where work comes before everything else. Yeah. And sometimes in, in, in a very unhealthy way. Yeah. Like, he is trying to yank his parents out of this because, like, at some point in the episode, he realizes that he can, like, affect this and they just see him as little Daniel. Mm-hmm. So at some point, he, like, grabs his parents and tries to drag them out from under the rock that is going to squish them mm-hmm. at this museum exhibit. And, like, they wrench out of his grip and then his dad, like, shoves his mom back into the exhibit, like, mm-hmm. go back to work, honey. And then he yells at Daniel and also goes back into the exhibit. And I'm like, this you're putting your work above your child. Mm-hmm. This is why Daniel is the way he is. Yeah, his wife. Well, we also so after his parents die, he is raised by his grandfather, and his grandfather is the exact same way. 
okay, we get to so, like this kid really never yeah. had any hope. Yeah, we get to meet his grandfather, and he it was absolutely a workaholic. So that tracks. <laughs> it also does stress me out less though. Daniel just piecing out to move on another planet. I'm like, okay, there wasn't anybody like missing him back home. Because that was always something that stresses me out in fiction when people like leave this world or this time or whatever Mm -hmm. to go live elsewhere. I'm like, but there are people back home who will miss you. Yeah. Like, where are you going? But like, okay, like there was nobody to miss Daniel. So I'm like, I see why you were so keen to leave. Mm -hmm. But well, he does have some friends who felt kind of abandoned by him, which we'll see in a later season. Ooh, drama. Yeah. It's some good drama. Yeah. I like I like good drama. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I felt like I mean the gamekeeper could have chosen literally any other memory, <laughs> you know, and it would have been so much less traumatic. He could have made Daniel live through giving his speech about the pyramids being built by aliens and getting laughed out of academia. But that's <laughs> less traumatic. It's still really embarrassing though. But it's not traumatic. That's not the thing that keeps Daniel up at night. What could I have done differently? Because Daniel thinks he's right. Right. So it's not embarrassing to him. He's like, it's embarrassing for you guys because you can't see the truth. Yeah, that's true. But Mm. it was interesting. Like the gamekeeper being like, I don't understand why you don't want to relive these memories over and over again. And like revisit this over and over again. Like you don't see that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I have so many questions about this setup, I, too. I want to know why. Why what? I mean, the gamekeeper explains why he does what he does. But I like really, it's not a satisfactory answer for me. What, like, the why they got started doing that in the first place? Or why he's still doing it? I suppose my question is, why are you like this? <laughs> like, But why wouldn't you want to? And I'm like, why, why would you want to? I mean, I don't think that's it. He personally wants to. He's obviously just trying to keep his residents happy because he doesn't want to let them out into the world. But this is some psycho level behavior. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's just like on like on a whole other level. Well, I mean, he probably hasn't had like a real conversation with anyone because, you know, he's the gamekeeper. He doesn't normally like interact with his residents really. Right. And he sees himself as like both morally superior and more intelligent than them. So I don't think he's ever like had an honest interaction with somebody on his same level, you know, or at least that he perceives on his same level. What you're saying is the gamekeeper has no people skills. Yeah. Okay, good. Good to know. (laughs) Because I mean, if you think about like, well, for one thing, I, I have questions about his age because. I mean, they've been in stasis for, I think they said a thousand years. And I mean, I understand the medical pods, if they're advanced enough, could prevent aging or whatever, which I have questions, but okay. Let's just assume that they can prevent aging. Mm -hmm. Um, He has been going out in the world for at least a few decades. So how is he not aging? Or at least not very quickly. Maybe he's only out for like the equivalent of like a day yeah so he's like 10 years older than everybody else yeah i would think that the residents would notice that though if he started gradually getting older and like ask him like what are you doing how are you aging and we're not i mean i guess it's one of those things where like if you see somebody every day yeah 
you don't notice that they're getting older without a direct visual comparison to them. Yeah. Prior. That's true. So if he's not, if he's only like a decade older. Yeah. Without a picture, they wouldn't put that together. Yeah. That's true. But yeah. He's like so worried that his fellow people are going to mess up his garden for one thing, but the world as a whole. And I'm just like, but from what we've seen, there's only like two dozen other people. So how much harm could they realistically do at least for a while? You know, I mean, if they only have like two or three dozen people, it's going to take them a long time to like repopulate and rebuild society. I like that the double thesis of these episodes is partially they're not what they seem, but partially like, how do we keep the people in line? Yeah, true. I think they complement each other very nice in that way. Oh, one thing I did write down was that um, Sam, the first thing that she noticed when waking up in this virtual reality was that she was wearing clothes that she didn't put on herself. Yeah. And I was like, yep, keeping it real. (laughs) Whereas Daniel's like, whoa. Although in this case, it's virtual clothing, so nobody changed her clothes for her. But it's still a valid question to ask. Like, how did I get she into this? She doesn't know clothes? she's in a virtual reality right away, though. No, Not no. immediately. Yeah, yes. so that is a very valid question. Yeah. yeah. I like when they wake up in the pods, but not really. They're still in the, in the simulation. Mm-hmm. They go home, and Jack is calling them out. And he gets all up in General Hammond's face. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> oh, oh god Jack I thought that must have been so much fun like for the actors for Regina Anderson to like be hitting his face just like poking him behind the ear going I'm looking for a mask <laughs> Donna Davis is like get off <laughs> I thought that was fun although one thing that kind of bothered me in that in that scene was that at first Jack said that because uh, like Daniel and Sam were like we should go back and free these people mm-hmm. from their pods so that they can go out and have a normal life and Jack is the first one to say I'm not sure that that's our place yeah. and I'm like that is an interesting moral quandary because they're not technically being harmed but they're stuck yeah they're well they're trapped without the knowledge of why they're in there basically so yeah i mean that's an interesting question like do you have a moral obligation to help these people because you have more information on why they're trapped or should you leave them alone because it's not your planet not your problem so that would be my thinking but yeah i I mean obviously they kind of accidentally tell them (laughs) but but i mean that i mean that is i'm not sure that there's a right answer there necessarily yeah, I think it's like one of those, it's like one of those sci-fi questions of like how how involved do we get, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole prime. Ultimately, I come down on thinking that they were that they should let them go because they didn't make the choice to be there. They don't know they're stuck. Right. Yeah, I mean you could certainly present them <laughs> with the choice of, hey, you could leave. Do you want to? Yeah. You know, like, give them basically, the choice. yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Like, do they have the right to that knowledge? You know. Yeah. Kind of like going on the back of the previous episode, this is also another group of people who have displayed superior technology to the Gould. 
But so these people wouldn't be able to fight the gold, obviously, because there's like two dozen of them and their entire planet was theoretically destroyed. So they probably don't have any weaponry, but they do have really advanced technology. So it's an interesting contrast to see like what kinds of technology can, you know, be built over time in these different cultures and stuff like that. Yeah, very true. Maybe one day they would theoretically grow large enough and powerful enough to defeat something like the gold. Yeah, I guess. But we don't see them again, so. No. I mean, it would probably take them a couple hundred years to get up to that point, just to, like, have enough people, for one thing, to really mount any sort of defense, but. But they do have that potential. Yeah. It's, like, it's such a shame, though, because we see all this stuff, and it's like, well, they're not coming back, so. That's what fan fiction's for. Yep. That's true. I did have like one complaint about so in Jack's memory um, when he's going and he's you know trying to save his friends from dying on this mission and there's this colonel Colonel John Michaels and I was watching it I'm just like this guy seems way too young to be a colonel and so I was looking it up the actor at this time is only 24 years old (laughs) so it there's no way because i looked it up and prior to a new rule made in 2019 you were required by law to serve for 22 years before you could be considered for promotion to to lieutenant colonel two-year-olds serving in the military yeah so basically you have to be minimum 40 years old (laughs) And this guy's 24. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm like, why didn't you just cast someone older? Or give him a lower rank. Yeah. He doesn't even need to be a colonel necessarily to lead that mission. He could have been a captain to lead that mission, honestly. I like This is one of those things I genuinely don't have a good explanation for. <laughs> except that whoever wrote the script didn't know that. But then also, like, given how military this show is, I have a very hard time believing that, like, they didn't at least have a military consultant. Right. Yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure that they did consult with the Air Force from time to time to make sure that they weren't, like, royally effing something up in terms of representing the Air Force. Except for the fact that the Air Force probably has 24-year-old colonels. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. What's the new rule now? Um, it's something about how you can get there faster by use of commissions or something. Okay, with the signing of the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019, military services now have the authorization to directly commission new officers up to the rank of colonel. Oh, so he time traveled from 2020 and became a colonel and didn't warn any of us about COVID. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it. So it requires 22 years of cumulative service and a minimum of three years as a lieutenant colonel before being promoted to colonel. So it's like you have to be 40 to be a lieutenant colonel and then so at least 43 to be colonel. Yeah. So I'm not buying it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they just should have cast an older actor. So yeah, I don't I don't get it. A big old mess. Or just not made up a colonel. Okay, so this actor, here's my here's my answer. I don't care if it's wrong. This actor is somebody's nephew, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be in Stargate, mm-hmm. and he wanted to play a colonel. And they're like, but you're 24. And he's like, yeah. that's okay. So they made him a colonel. <laughs> that's what happened. 
Nepotism. Yep. Usually, if something is jarring in a movie, I'm like, whose child, <laughs> girlfriend, wife, mistress, husband, boyfriend are you? Because yeah, this doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I know it's ultimately not important. I just get hung up on these details. <laughs> That's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. <laughs> Did you enjoy Teal'c's hair? I did not know what to make of this. It was jarring that he had hair. <laughs> yeah, it was a terrible haircut. Um, I hope that wasn't his real hair. No, it's no, wig, he's bald. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, like they didn't. He like... shaved his head for this. So okay, yeah, because that would be that would have been rude. Um, it was a terrible haircut. <laughs> terrible <laughs> hair. Very funny. I thought he looked naked without his little gold thing on his head. Right. Like this is. I don't like this. <laughs> Put Your forehead is missing something. Put, put, the, put the thing back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can't ever really get rid of it. I mean, you could probably technically burn it off, but then you just have a burn mark in the center of your forehead, so might as well leave it on. Yeah, I mean, you could explain a burn mark easier than a, than a gold insignia, but... But it would hurt a lot, and it would be really I ugly. I it's worth it. Yeah. Although I do like that, you know, as usual, his toque is like right over his eyebrows because that's the whole deal. Uh -huh. And then they dramatically rip the hat off to be like, see, <laughs> he's a jerk. It's just like hair. Just, he's just wearing a Party City wig. Like <laughs> they didn't even like spend. Well, they didn't spend any money on this wig to look nice because they knew it was only for like one scene. They didn't spend any money. Full stop. Because they're like this deadly mission. I'm like, this is someone's backyard. <laughs> this is a backyard in Vancouver. That's where you are. Yeah. And not That's even true. like in the woods. Like there is a house that mm -hmm. someone is living in. As we speak. Well, I was thinking like even realistically for the mission itself, they seemed like where they were like their starting point where the, they drove the truck in seems awfully close to the house that they're going to ransack for this Russian dude. I swear, if you had asked me to draw you a map, it would be like the driveway where they drove the car in with like the wooden fence and then they drive the car in and that's where they meet them. And then the house is like immediately to their right. <laughs> like I, I almost wonder if they like slipped up and caught it on camera and my brain just couldn't shake it. Cause this is not nearly as big as I think they want you to think it is. Yeah. It seemed like it was really close. And I'm like, if this Russian dude is being heavily guarded. Don't you think they're going to have some kind of scout like in town to be like, oh, hey, some army trucks just rolled in? <laughs> you know? You would think, but yeah, I don't know. It's very nitpicky. I did appreciate that they brought back Kowalski because yeah. I really think the show did him dirty because that, I mean, the actor is just so good. Jay Akavoni, Akavone? I don't know how to say his last name. But he, he does such a great job. And I like I think the reason they, they probably couldn't keep him on as Kowalski was because like Kowalski would be too big of a character mm -hmm. because he would be leading up SG2 if he had survived. But he's such good friends with Jack that I, I think that. yeah, I think he would have pulled focus quite a lot. 
the audience would have wanted more interaction, which means like more joint messages between SG one and SG two. But this is a show about SG one. Like it's called Stargate SG one. Unless they just sent SG two like away, and then yeah. they bring Kowalski back periodically. But even then, you wouldn't be able to keep the actor around. Yeah. And so I mean, it, yeah, they wouldn't let Jack build a dynamic with like Teal and with Daniel right. and with Sam and like. Yeah, I, I, I understand why they did it, but it sucks. Yeah, yeah. He's such a great character and a great actor. So, I mean, it's nice that we got him in this small role in this episode. Yeah. And I also do like the Keeper's outfit. I thought it was it's very extremely extra. dramatic for absolutely yes. no reason. Yeah. Well, it's just so funny to me, like, when they're in this virtual reality, all of the residents are, like, wearing these black cloaks and black veils and i'm like you do realize that you could be wearing anything right he makes them wear that i guarantee yeah like, only one of us may be extra and that someone is me well i guess his rule is that only the people who are playing a part in the scene can be wearing like normal clothes and the people who are just watching have to wear the robes and he gets to dress like a teapot well he's the gamekeeper so he can do whatever he wants <laughs> teapot <laughs> yeah he had a very dramatic headdress <laughs> it, was like a, it was like an overturned um shot glass <laughs> you say so or like one of those things like a moscow mule cup <laughs> upside down on his head <laughs> and very large very well there's like a long piece that like ran down his back too i think that's the handle oh okay they just took oh it's it. like a ladle then yeah, like a <laughs> Moscow mule ladle. <laughs> oh That's a thing. Yeah, sure, sure. I do also find it entertaining that literally every time Jolinar is mentioned, it's always Jolinar of Malkshore. I'm like, do you, do you really need to keep saying the of Malkshore part? Like, I feel like we we got it. I mean, it just happened. I mean, because this is episode four, and that just happened in episode two. Like, it hasn't been so long that we've forgotten who Jolinar is. <laughs> it's just reminding us, like, just in case. But it makes me also, think of how... Go ahead. Jolinar is not so big a deal mm -hmm. yet. I think that just saying Jolinar helps. So, either way. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, it just reminds me of how Braytac calls Hammond Hammond of Texas. <laughs> That's true. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna need everybody to call me Chelsea of Texas now, because apparently this is the thing for Stargate: it's to call you name and then where you're from. Chelsea of Texas, it is. <laughs> yeah. You should start introducing yourself that way. Hello, I'm Chelsea of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no, like at the top of the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I could do that if I remember. <laughs> Do you want to be our zoo of Toronto? Why are you statewide and I'm oh, like okay. city specific? What is your state? Ontario? Ontario. Yeah, see, this is how little I know of like Canadian <laughs> we <laughs> geography. In our zoo. We're better at this than Teal Kids. <laughs> our zoo of Ontario? Yeah, I don't know if I like that. Mm -hmm. Why not? Too much. Too many Too much? vowels, honestly. <laughs> it's a disconcerting number of vowels. No, that's fine. We can workshop it. Yeah. <laughs> anything else about this episode? No. Can't think of anything. Do you feel that 
Teal'c was singled out in any way for being different? Okay, so I saw this in your notes before I started watching, and I couldn't pinpoint anything except for when the gamekeeper mentioned that he couldn't get inside his head. Well, there's that. The same thing applied to Sam, so. Yeah. Well, and the fact that he, like, kind of changes his identity as well. Like, he's no longer Teal'c, he's now Thomas, and so and like you know, removing his emblem and changing his hair, so kind of like changing core aspects of who Tilk is, for the sake of a hypothetical situation. I mean, I guess in theory, Sam was changed too in Daniel's memory. Well, we she just... wasn't given a new role, though. She might have been, though. We don't know. It was never acted like she had a new role to play. She was just an observer, really. But she, Whereas, she's like somebody else at the museum. I don't think she was yeah. Samantha Carter. If the parents had perceived her at all, uh-huh. they would have seen somebody else. Yeah. So I think that's just the nature of the of the gamekeeper's yeah. like illusion. I don't think it's singling Teal'c out for any specific okay. reason. Yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily see it as a problem. I just thought it was worth like discussing. So do you have any final thoughts about these two episodes? They were fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you think they hold up for a modern audience okay? Yeah, I think so. They're yeah. pretty like chill pretty episodes strange. relatively. Yeah. Okay, so next time we're going to be talking about episodes five and six, Need and Thor's Chariot, and you're welcome to watch along with us. I am particularly excited to, to return to Samaria again. Mm-hmm. And Arzu, it's time for your next quote. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. She wants me to marry her. So this is Jack talking about Sam. That's it. Full stop. No, um, that's what <laughs> I want it to be. What it probably is, is Daniel talking to SG-1 about a woman they meet on a mission because he's like explaining what somebody is very clearly, like very obviously communicating to him. He is now explaining outward. So he's explaining it to the rest of SG-1. So it's like a language that he understands and they don't. So he's like, she's like saying something. And they're like, what is she saying? And he's like, in that like geekily befuddled way of his, like she, she wants me to marry her. And they're like, <laughs> well, that's fine. Cause it's not like you're married already. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's Daniel talking to SG1 about a new character. Okay. All right. Well, we'll find out next week if you're right. That's it for today. If you like what you've heard, if you could please leave us a review and a rating wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, we would appreciate that very much. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter and Tumblr page at Wormhole Waffles. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. You can find me on Tumblr and on Instagram at ArzuD2 if that's your thing. As for the Geeky Waffle, we are on Twitter at Geeky underscore Waffle. We are the Geeky Waffle everywhere else. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Tumblr. Yeah, we have a Tumblr. We are on Patreon. Patreon. Yeah, we do. I don't think I've seen a Tumblr. um, Candice runs it. Okay. We are on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Geeky Waffle. And I mentioned our YouTube. Please subscribe. And uh, we are also at thegeekywaffle.com. All right. Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon.